welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode number 324 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Soyuz 10 with Shatilov, Yelizhev, and Rukovizhnikov. On the last episode, we covered the launch of Salyut 1, the first space station, on April 19, 1971. On or about April 22, 1971, Soyuz 10 was launched with the cosmonauts Vladimir Shatilov, Alexei Yelizhev, and Nikolai Rukovishnikov. Their goal was to become the first crew of Salyut 1. This is their story. First, to put things in perspective, I want to quickly cover how previous successive Soyuz missions led up to Soyuz 10. A key objective of the old Soyuz program was to develop space rendezvous, docking, and practical extravehicular activity as was demonstrated by the U.S. in its Gemini program. These capabilities were required for the Salyut space stations. Soyuz 1 was launched with the goal of docking in orbit with the manned Soyuz 2 craft. But even before the second craft was launched, problems with Soyuz 1 made it clear that Soyuz 2 had to be canceled before the landing of Soyuz 1. This probably saved the lives of the three-man Soyuz 2 crew. You may recall Soyuz 1 ended with the death of cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov in 1967 due to a faulty parachute system. Soyuz 2 would have flown with the same defective system as Soyuz 1. As a result, the Soyuz spacecraft was revised for Soyuz 2 and 3 in 1968. In the meantime, the Soviets did perform a semi-successful unmanned docking in automatic mode with Cosmos 186 and Cosmos 188, as covered in episode number 143. Continuing with the Soyuz, Soyuz 2 and 3 was an attempt at the first Soviet manned docking with an unmanned Soyuz vehicle. Cosmonaut Beregovoy piloted the Soyuz 3 and attempted to dock with an unmanned Soyuz 2. He did have a successful rendezvous, but he failed to dock with Soyuz 2. Soyuz 4 and 5 successfully rendezvoused and docked two manned Soyuz 7K-OK spacecraft and transferred two cosmonauts from Soyuz 5 to Soyuz 4 by means of a spacewalk since there was no method to transfer crew internally. Both spacecraft made it back to Earth, but Soyuz 5 had quite a rough ride. Soyuz 6, 7, and 8 was the first simultaneous flight of three manned spacecraft. They performed the first vacuum welding in space But rendezvous electronics failed in all three spacecraft, scrubbing the three-way spacecraft rendezvous mission. Soyuz 9 broke the five-year-old space endurance record held by Gemini 7 
with their nearly 18-day flight. This mission paved the way for the Salyut Space Station missions. However, the mission took an unexpected physical toll on the cosmonauts. In order to conserve attitude control gas during the lengthy stay in orbit, Soyuz 9 was placed in a spin stabilization mode that made Nikolaev and Sevastyanov dizzy and space sick. When landing finally came, they required help exiting the descent module and were virtually unable to walk for a few days. Nonetheless, this experience proved the importance of providing crews with exercise equipment during missions. And this brings us to Soyuz 10. The objective of the Soyuz 10 mission was to deliver and return to Earth the first crew of Salyut 1. The Soyuz was to hard dock with Salyut 1 and then the crew was to transfer internally to the station. Previous Soyuz crew transfers could only be achieved through an EVA. The crew was expected to remain on Salyut for a period of days. The crew of Soyuz 10 was made up of two experienced cosmonauts and one rookie. The commander was Vladimir Shatilov, a veteran of Soyuz 4 and 8, and this was his third flight. Shatilov was born in 1927 in Petropavlovsk, Kazakhstan. He graduated from Kachinsk Military School in 1949. He graduated from Monino Military Academy in 1956. He earned his technical science degree in 1972. And he was married and had two children. He was selected as a cosmonaut in 1963. And he went through cosmonaut basic training from January of 63 to January of 1965. After completion of his basic training, Shatilov was initially assigned to Voskhod 3, but that flight was canceled just 10 days before launch. Chief designer Korolov's successor, Vasily Mission, canceled Voskhod 3 because he wanted to concentrate on Soyuz. Next, Shatilov was assigned to Soyuz 4, then 8, and his last flight was aboard Soyuz 10. After his cosmonaut career, Shatilov succeeded General Nikolia Kamanin as commander of the cosmonaut training from 1971 to 1987. Eventually, he was made the aide to the commander-in-chief of the Air Force. He retired from cosmonaut-related duties in September 1991 and from active military duty in 1992. He was twice awarded Hero of the Soviet Union and awarded three Orders of Lenin. His most famous quote was as follows, When we look into the sky, it seems to us to be endless. We breathe without thinking about it as is natural, and then you sit aboard a spacecraft. You tear away from Earth, and within ten minutes you have been carried straight through the layer of air, and beyond there is nothing. The boundless blue sky 
the ocean which gives us breath and protects us from endless black and death is but an infinitesimally thin film. How dangerous it is to threaten even the smallest part of this gossamer covering, this conserver of life. End quote. The flight engineer of Soyuz 10 was Alexei Yelizhev, a veteran of Soyuz 5, 4, and 8. Yelizhev was born in July 1934 in Zistra, Kaluga Oblast, with the name Alexei Kuraitis. Alexei's father was Lithuanian, and he was arrested and sent to a gulag in 1939. So, in 1950, Alexei took the maiden name of his mother, Yelizhev. Therefore, some regard him as also being a Lithuanian cosmonaut. Yelizhev graduated Bauman Higher Technical School in 1957 and earned his postgraduate degree from the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology in 1962. He eventually earned a doctorate of technical science degree in 1973. Yelizhev initially worked as an engineer in Sergei Korolev's OKB-1 Design Bureau before being selected for cosmonaut training in May 1968. Soyuz 5 was the first of four flights for Yelizhev. He also flew on Soyuz 4, 8, and his last flight was Soyuz 10. Yelizhev was one of the two spacewalkers who transferred in orbit from Soyuz 5 to Soyuz 4 for the return flight to Earth. In 1985, Yelizhev retired from the space program and began an administrative position at the Bauman School for several years before retiring fully. He was twice awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union and was awarded four Orders of Lenin. The test engineer of Soyuz 10 was Nikolai Rukovishnikov, a space flight rookie. Rukovishnikov was born September 18, 1932, in Tomsk, Oblast, Russia. Rukovishnikov graduated from the Moscow Engineering and Physics Institute in 1957 and was immediately swept into the burgeoning Soviet space industry. From 1957 to 1967, he was an engineer with the Korolev OKB-1 Design Bureau, and in 1967, at age 34, he became a cosmonaut. He was a member of one of the two-man teams training for the L-1 Zond manned circumlunar mission until it was canceled in 1969 he was then selected for Soyuz 10. Next, Rukovishnikov was assigned to Soyuz 16, which performed a shakedown test of the Apollo-Soyuz test project. In December 1974, on a non-docking six-day orbital mission. In April 1979, he flew as commander of Soyuz 33, 
which failed to dock at Salyut 6 due to an engine malfunction. His last chance to visit a space station came in April 1984 when he was on the crew of Soyuz T-11. However, he was replaced due to an illness and resigned from the cosmonaut corps at age 51. He returned to full-time work at the Korolev team, by now known as the NPO Inertia. In total, he spent 9.88 days in space. In 2002, he died of a heart attack. Rukovishnikov was twice awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union and four times awarded the Order of Lenin. Now let's move on to the hardware. The spacecraft used for Soyuz 10 was based on the Soyuz 7K OK design. You may recall from previous episodes, the Soyuz 7K OK spacecraft was composed of three elements attached end to end the orbital module, the descent module, and the instrumentation propulsion module. Most of the time, the crew occupied the central element, the descent module. The other two modules were jettisoned prior to re-entry. They would burn up in the atmosphere, so only the descent module returned to Earth. The descent module was very close quarters, and as a result, when the mission called for three cosmonauts, they could not wear pressure suits during launch or re-entry. The Soyuz 7K OK carried four different types of engines. The first was called the Approach Correction Engine. It was the main engine used for carrying out maneuvers in orbit and also served as the retro-fire engine during re-entry. The second engine type was the Low-Thrust Engine. These were used for attitude control they were moved by means of a handle inside the spacecraft and could turn the spacecraft about any of its axes. The third type of engine was the translation thrusters. These were intended for turning the spacecraft in relation to its center of mass. The fourth type of engine was used for controlled descent, and these, in contrast with the others, were located on the descent module. These were used for carrying out programmed turns of the ship before re-entry into the denser layers of the atmosphere and also for banking and stabilization in respect to the other axes during flight within the atmosphere. For controlling the Soyuz, instead of having dozens of switches, each of which to perform a single function, Maneuvers could be carried out by pressing a single button to activate a programmed sequence of operation issuing dozens of commands. The indicators on the Soyuz control panel displayed the position of the spacecraft above the surface of the Earth, the distance and rate of approach to other spacecraft, the parameters of the cabin atmosphere and the life support systems, the rate of charge or discharge of the chemical storage batteries, the network voltage, and the parameters of the pneumohydraulic systems 
for controlling the various engines and thrusters. The controls were located in two groups, one on each side of the indicator panel. Soyuz 10 was the first mission to use the upgraded Soyuz 7K OKS spacecraft, also known as the Soyuz 7KT OK. This was a minor upgrade from the Soyuz 7K OK to allow docking at the Salyut station. The key feature was the new probe and drogue docking mechanism which allowed internal crew transfer capability. In other words, they didn't have to take a spacewalk to transfer between vehicles. The new docking hatch and tunnel was installed on the orbital module along with the EGLA automatic rendezvous and docking system with aft-mounted antenna single-dish tower, and four windows. Of course, to get the Soyuz 10 to Salyut 1, a carrier rocket was used. The Soyuz 11A511 was a Soviet expendable carrier rocket designed in the 1960s by the OKB-1 Design Bureau and manufactured by State Aviation Plant No. 1 Kubashayev, Soviet Union. It was commissioned to launch Soyuz spacecraft as part of the Soviet human spaceflight program. First, with the eight uncrewed test flights, followed by the first 19 crewed launches. The original Soyuz also propelled four test flights of the improved Soyuz 7KT capsule between 1972 and 1974. In total, it flew 30 successful missions over 10 years and suffered two failures. The Soyuz 11A511 was a member of the R-7 family of rockets, first flown in 1966. Derived from the Voskhod 11A57 type, it was a two-stage rocket with four liquid-fueled strap-on boosters clustered around the first stage and a Block 1 second stage. The new uprated core stage and strap-ons became standard for all R7-derived launch vehicles to replace the numerous older variants in use on the 8A92-11A57 and 8K78M types. While the original Block 1 stage, as developed in 1960, used RD-107 engines, the Soyuz boosters instead had RD-110 engines. The RD-110s were necessary because they were more powerful and could lift the heavier weight of the Soyuz craft and also had several design improvements to increase reliability and safety on crewed missions. The Monia 8K78M booster also adopted the RD-110 during 1965, but Voskhod boosters continued using the older RD-107. 
And now that we have assembled all the pieces for Soyuz 10, we are ready for the launch. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I want to say thanks for listening to episode number 324 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Soyuz 10 with Shatilov Yelizhev and Rukovishnikov. Hope you enjoy this episode. It was a pleasure bringing it to you. Next week, we will continue with Soyuz 10. Will the modified spacecraft with the probe and drogue docking mechanism work? Will the Soviets be able to complete a simple rendezvous and docking? And will Salyut 1 receive its first crew? Find out next week. do want to apologize for this episode being a little late. The podcast has become so big in the work doesn't seem to let up. I've really been struggling to keep up the pace. Okay, if you're looking for old episodes, the first 153 are available on the Archive podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. Okay, it continues to be Thank You Donor Bonus Time of the Year. Have a new thank you today, but before I get to that, I want to remind all donors that have given $100 or more this year and have not received a 3-inch in diameter logo magnet. Please email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell me your address and I will send one out. It's just a small thanks for supporting the podcast this year. And this offer ends on December 31st of 2019. Now something new. Our second donor bonus goes out to all financial supporters who have contributed $50 or more this year, either by Patreon, PayPal, or check. If your total is $50 or more, I want to send you the never-before-seen 3-inch in diameter Revision 1 SRH logo sticker. It's a sticker with Revision 1 of the podcast logo. I can mail this to you completely free once I get your address. Just email me your address to mike at spacerockethistory.com And I do have a special request. If you are overseas, I would appreciate it if you could donate a dollar through PayPal to help pay for the postage. To do that, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, click on the orange donate button and make a $1 donation. Be sure to put your address in the donation comments. Now, if you can't afford to do that, just let me know and I will cover the postage. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, there will be yet 
another thank you bonus next week. So be sure to listen in. Well, folks, as I remind you every week, we are trying to reach some important goals for the podcast. This year, we are way behind, and I I doubt if it's possible to make it by the end of the year. Our main goal is to reach 600 contributors by the end of the year, and so far we have reached 441 contributors. So that's uh, 159 short. That will be tough to make before December 31st. Our Patreon goal is even harder. We're at 240 Patreon donors with the goal of reaching 300 by the end of the year. So if you're enjoying the over 323 episodes provided here and are financially able, please consider supporting the podcast. To contribute, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and click on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Over the past week, we had several new contributions. I would like to recognize John E. from California, who sent in another donation and moved to the Apollo level. David S. from California donated at the Vostok level. Lyndon N. pledged on Patreon at the Orion level. Tim P. pledged on Patreon at the Apollo level. Alistair S. from the UK pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level. And X15A2 pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level. Thank you for supporting the Space Rocket History Podcast. For the 441 of you who have already donated for 2019, we certainly appreciate it. This week we're giving away the SRH Logo Magnet to one of our lucky financial supporters. Here's Mrs. SRH with the weekly donor drawing. Thanks, Mike. Hello, everyone. I am happy to announce this week's winner of the SRH Logo Magnet. With the help of Google's random number generator I selected, Dillard Boland. Dillard Boland, if you would email us, Mike, at spacerockethistory.com and tell us your address, we will mail this out to you. Thank you to all 441 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. Thank you, Mrs. SRH. My sources for this and last week's episode were Rockets and People by Boris Chertok, Roads to Space by the Russia Scientific Research Center for Space Documentation, Soviet Space Program website, NOVA, Popular Mechanics, Russia Space Web, Kerbal Space Program, Svengraf website, Astronics website, the NASA Space Science Data Coordinated Archive, Space Facts website, and Wikipedia. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. I will try to have episode 325 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.